Welcome to Creative Writing, the best podcast you're listening to right now. Unless, of course, you have two devices running and you're listening to two podcasts simultaneously. In which case, the other one is probably better. Oh, and there's tons of better ones out there, and I'm going to tell you about some of them right now. Kick it. Oh, yeah. First, I'm going to tell you about the Solstice Slam. The Solstice Slam is your chance to commandeer this show. That's right. Take over this show and make it yours. This is episode 19, so that means that there's one episode left. See if this won't do a wheelie. It won't do a wheelie, my friend. Not without your help and not without your input. So this is the deal. The Solstice Slam which is going to be in episode 20, I realize in my foolhardiness, and there's plenty of it to go around, that I have never get, given a cutoff date. Um, and I probably didn't even give you the email, even though I, I do at the end of every show. Maybe I should do that at the beginning of the show. So I usually record these things a few weeks out, a couple weeks out at least. And uh, one week out if I'm not very lucky and late if uh, technology happens to crash on me. So the deal with the Solstice Slam is... <clears throat> I'm surprised I'm talking so well because I, I just did a uh, little practice run of like an hour-long kazoo solo. And, uh, you know, I I guess what I'm what I'm getting at is that um, I, I never gave off a submission date by the time I need these. So I, I might extend this into next week. Um, this episode that I'm recording right now should come out. I usually release them, what, Fridays or Saturdays, maybe Sundays? So, uh, by the time you're hearing this, uh, if you haven't already submitted something, I guess I'll just hang off and, uh, you know, I've already got it recorded and so just go ahead and send me something and I'll just slam it in there, slam it over the top. You know, the kazoo solo is just to fill in the time that doesn't get taken up by, by your stories. And that's what the Solstice Slam is all about. It's your chance to get your story on the air. Are you a motorcyclist that does something else? Are you somebody that's wanting to get into motorcycling? Are you just a creative person? Uh, in general that likes to uh, incorporate motorcycles into your daily life? Um, Are you a not creative person that doesn't like incorporating motorcycles into your daily life, but you would like to? It doesn't matter. I don't give a rat's hairy crack (laughs) what what it is. As long as it uh, relates to you and motorcycling, send it to us. Um, Hairy crash stories, um, first bike stories, what not to do, um, you know, any, anything you want to share, give us a shout out. And like I said, I will, um, if you can get it to be to me by, let me see what next week is going to be, I guess April, um, first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, let's say April 6th or April 7th. If you can get it to me by then, um, I will throw it into the show. So April, let's make the cutoff April 7th, mail your audio clips to, or send your carrier pigeons uh, toward the LA area. Send your audio clips to creative writing podcast at gmail.com. And, uh, I've heard a couple people say it now, and I guess I should clarify, creative writing, um, yeah, it's a play on words for creative writing, you know, as a lot lot of creative people do um, writing, but it's not W-R-I-T-I-N-G. 
because that would be a podcast about wordsmithery, and I am super far from being um, even proficient at speaking, so writing is definitely not my strong point. It's creative writing, R-I-D-I-N-G. I used to listen to this show called the Road to Ripped Podcast, and they were they would make jokes how it always sounded like they were saying Road Trip Podcast. And so I guess creative writing is sort of um, confusing as well. So I will make a point to say creative writing and make sure I get the D in there, not writing. So anyway, uh, submit your stuff to me, please, by April 7th, again, to creativewritingpodcast at gmail.com. And thank you. Thank you for the glorious shout-out from the uh, Stock Us for Squares podcast. I was listening to their show the other day. They had a turbo cast and a bonus cast. And if you don't listen to those, man, you are crazy. Those guys are awesome. And uh, thanks for the shout-out saying that I'm prepared. Hell, I am not prepared. That was uh, Nobody's ever accused me of being prepared for anything. And um, even on my wedding day, I just showed up in a suit, and that's about as prepared as I got. I, I You know... I, I do my best to actually uh, try to think of stuff, and what usually happens is I'm thinking so far ahead, and I've got so much junk in my brain that I've got like four episodes worth of stuff, and then by the time it comes to record one, I just uh, don't have anything. I've brain farted. You know, I've written all this stuff down, and it doesn't. It's not cohesive, and it doesn't make sense. So then I have to like sit down and figure out how everything makes sense in a timeline here. <laughs> So that it's actually listenable somewhat. As you can, if you've already listened to a few of these shows, you know they're barely listenable as it is. So to make it as listenable as I do, I have to actually sit down and kind of do a little bit of uh, rewriting and and research. So big shout out. Thanks to those guys for Stock Us for Squares. If you have not listened to them yet, give them a good listen. They're pretty funny they're super informative, and if you listen to the TurboCast, it'll blow your blow your mind. Uh, you know, I never really had any turbo vehicles, but um, I remember welding up some flanges for my friends that had uh, twin turbo 300ZXs, and my uh, one of my coworkers used to race his turbo diesel pickup and just do four wheel smoky burnouts and put the fucking hammer down on some Mustangs and shit, you know and then blow some smoke into their window as he's going by, which is pretty funny. And um, I had a good friend that I used to autocross and uh, do uh, track days with that had, you know, was like totally into turbos and intercoolers and stuff. So it's not like I've never been around them, but that turbo cast blew my mind. I used to call any twin turbo a twin screw, but it turns out that like a twin screw or a twin scroll actually is something. So <laughs> so it showed me how little I knew about Turbo. So that was an awesome podcast to listen to. Give those guys a check out if you can. And while I'm at it, I might as well just um, tell you a couple of the other great podcasts that I listen to that are motorcycle related. So right off the bat, my very first and favorite podcast in the whole universe is the Motorcycles and Misfits podcast from the Recycle Garage up in sunny Santa Cruz, California. Why do I love Motorcycles and Misfits so much? Hang on while I adjust my mic. Thank you. Is because they are like super inclusive. They have people from all dif- disciplines. You're, you ride a sport bike, you ride a dirt bike, you ride a, a dual sport, you ride a cruiser. It doesn't matter. You have two wheels and you're in the club. You know, scooters, um, mini bikes, all that stuff is is part of their club, and it's super great. Plus, the people that ride are just you know 
from all different walks of life and it doesn't seem to matter. You know what I mean? So I, I, I love the sense of community that they're developing and I love how inclusive they are. They ask the craziest questions like what type of, if your bike was sexual, what type of uh, bike would it be? You know, LGBTA uh, burly bear bike, you know, they go on naked rides for Pete's sake. Who the fuck goes on naked rides? You know what I mean? And they are, have affiliations with a lot of different racers up there, a lot of different personalities in the, in the motorcycle scene. So they, they're super, the, the, uh, interviews, they have a ton of interviews, not only with people in the motorcycling scene, but you know, it, people in the motorcycle industry. And it's basically how much fun, uh, people are having on motorbikes and I love the way they tell what they're doing because that reminds me of how me and my friends used to talk around and shoot the shit about what we were working on. And, you know, it's just, it, you really feel like you're part of a family. I think that's kind of what they're going for. And they do have, uh, you know, they consider everybody a family. If you're, if you're a motorcycler, you're, you're a, a motorcycler. You ever heard that word before? <laughs> I'm going to start a magazine called Motorcycler Magazine. So at, at any rate, yeah, that that's uh, my, my number one top fave. Uh, number two would probably be, um, I'm not a huge cruiser fan and, and, you know, I don't, I've ridden a few cruisers. I, I don't like it and I'm not really into the whole scene, but I have to say that, uh, motorcycle men, I listen to them because when I used to be into car racing and, I would see, you know, I, I didn't like NASCAR. I didn't like roundy round stuff. Um, didn't like actually drag racing that much, except for that it was fun to watch. Um, I, I would see when you don't support one sort of racing, you see other ones go down, uh, the, the tube and I, I I saw it splinter and I saw things, um, go away. And there was a lot of, you know, when I was a kid, I used to go to the, the short track there and, and watch racing and I didn't do it as an adult. Um, that, that left. And subsequently the motocross track that was on the same property left. And it was a place for people to go and practice, you know, within, without having to drive way far away, basically like up, up to Carlsbad or out to Barona Indian reservation and basically that instilled in me this, you know, as I got older, I realized that you have to support, even if you're not into it, for example, motorcycling, I may not be into Sturgis or I may not be into Daytona bike week, you know, but I support, I, I, you need to support the scene. You need to support other bikers and basically supporting motorcycling in general will enrich the industry and that trickles down to us the riders if you want more stuff and better stuff you know you got to support all sorts of riding most manufacturers um don't just focus on one type of bike so keep that in mind too so if you if you like a brand and you like what they're doing because of your jixer uh just think that other people are also riding their um boulevard line and also their you know uh v-strom and whatever else you know i'm talking specifically about suzuki but you know it just to keep that in mind that there's all sorts of people riding possibly the same brand not all cruisers are harleys or indians now so that's another great podcast uh, another one that is really cool comes out of the UK, out of Chatter Manners, and uh, it's the Front End Chatter podcast. 
These guys are two moto journalists. They have the best sense of humor. I love, I just crack up. I love the British sense of humor to begin with. And uh, these guys just crack me up. And they're nonstop, you know, interest. They got a really good perspective because they do, like I said, since they're moto journalists, they have a finger on the pulse of, of motorcycling in general. And even if they might ride models that don't come to the, to the U S or whatnot, they, it's rare. You know what I mean? They, there's usually, uh, some racing, uh, and some speculation on bike production and, uh, the, you know, racing series and all this and that. So it's super cool. Just they've, they've got such a grasp on what's happening and it's just one of my favorite ones to listen to, but it unfortunately only comes out about once a month. So they cut, they do a great job of covering the stuff that happened and the current stuff, even though it only comes out once a month, they do like a spectacular job of fitting it all into one episode. So it won't leave you uh, misinformed. That's for sure. And, Another another one that I listen to is the Adventure Rider Radio. And like I said, I'm not like a, a ADV guy and I don't really do overland travel and stuff, but going again, I like that stuff. I like the bikes that come out of that uh, particular style of riding and supporting all f- you know forms of motorcycling. I love to listen to this guy. His name is Jim Martin and he also has a show called Adventure Rider Raw, which is like a round table show. And his show is so well produced. He's got a great producer behind him, by the way. I believe her name is Elizabeth Martin. And, uh, you know, we know who does the hard work, right, Jim? So, you know, this show is just, it's an excellent show. He's got lots of sponsors on there. He covers people that travel the world, um, people that basically live their life on bikes and the products that go along with that. And he's actually one of the more recent episodes that I listened to was about the Honda CB500X, which I think I've just been reading article after article, uh, people that just don't get big adventure bikes like me. I don't get, I actually want to do something on this later. So I, you know, I don't want to like blow my wad right here, but I, that basically the coverage that he did on the CB500X and the rally raid kit that, that, um, giant loop makes for it was an excellent show and just, supported my theory that you don't need a gigantic bike to go uh, touring. And if you listen to his show, you'll realize that the people that that are on his show literally come from all walks of life and ride all styles of bikes and can do it from making it their lifestyle and living all the way to being like a road gypsy. So give that show a listen and you will not regret the production value on that. Uh, one of the other ones that I listen to is Cafe Racer Podcast. And they are like Cafe Racer slash ADV Cafe. They're kind of uh, transitioning more over from Cafe Racer to, uh, over, you know, adventure travel and stuff like that. But they also come out once a month, maybe twice a month, I think. And they do a lot of great gear reviews. And recently, uh, they used to talk about their trucks all the time and how their trucks were breaking down and and this and that. They had a lot of problems getting the trucks out to get the bikes out and whatnot. But now they've, uh, you know, they do a lot of great gear reviews and they're actually doing this thing called the first ride up the divide with Spencer Hill, the gear dude. And they've been reviewing and testing out a lot of new products. So go check them out if you want to hear some really good product reviews and uh, see what's happening. They also do... um, 
a really good job of reviewing like helmets and stuff like that because they use the uh, writer communication systems in them and stuff. So they really, they scrutinize the stuff and it's, it's a really good perspective on that. So a lot of good gear reviews and some uh, interesting events on there. Uh, some of the other ones that I listened to include the Motorific podcast and those two lovely ladies. I couldn't say I love their perspective more because you really get like a female's perspective on the industry. And that's something that's lacking. And it's something that supposedly is increasing, but uh, I don't know. Time will tell. Also, I listen to the Wheel Nerds sometimes when I can. And those guys do a lot of laughing. Uh, those guys are really good friends. And they, in the recent episodes, they were... Uh, Going had a few episodes in a row there about the Helite vest and uh, blowing each other up in that thing. They've transitioned onto sidecars now, so uh, sometimes I stay tuned to see what their next adventure will be. But I believe they put their stuff out about once every month, too. So a lot of this stuff you can subscribe to and commit to without having to, you know, make it your daily grind to suddenly find time to sit down and listen to a podcast if you're not fortunate enough to work in like a cubicle farm or some place like a shop where you can pop your earbuds in and just go about your business, you know. Um, so yeah, there's a, there's a few right there just right off the top of my head that I can think of that I listen to. There's a ton more out there. I've listened to a bunch more, but it's just hard to commit um, even for me, someone that you know, I can sit down and listen to work all, or, you know, while I work all day, it's hard for me to commit to like a billion bajillion shows. Cause there's other stuff I like to listen to as well. So that's just a couple off the top of my head. All of these guys, please go check it. If you check them out and if you subscribe, please write a review, please email the show and let them know you're listening. Cause I can vouch that as a podcast host, that a lot of times you don't hear, um, you don't get to develop a good relationship with the people that listen to you, uh, personal relationships. And a lot of time you're not even sure, uh, that your message is getting out there. So it's really nice to get some reviews and it's really nice to get emails and, and all that stuff. I implore you to reach out to each one of those podcasts that I mentioned and tell them that, uh, you like their stuff. If you're a current listener. All right. Well, on to the next thing. Speaking of motorcycle men, I wanted to give a little shout out to one of my coworkers recently. He bought, uh, he traded in his FZ09 for a Softail Slim S. Now he's, why did he go to a cruiser? Because he's getting old. <laughs> and, uh, I, ha another one of my coworkers has been, um, you know, collecting and restoring Harleys and flipping them for a long time. He also bought a new FXR to, to work on. That's his new project, baby, to keep him busy over the next couple months. And we're both kind of talking to this guy that just got the slim about he's, he's been questioning me since I, I do a lot of work with Harley data about the P and a catalog. And Oh yes, I was joking with him that that thing, if you're I, some of the people that are maybe a little bit younger to listening to this might not know what a phone book is, but back in the day you used to like once a month, you might get the yellow pages delivered still to your house because businesses maybe still rely on this stuff. But Back in the day, you would get this gigantic like brick of a book that you could probably use to build a shanty and it wouldn't tip over in a hurricane. These things were massive and uh, they weighed a 
you know, you could throw a few of them together on a, on a barbell and probably get like 150 pounds, do a couple curls with that thing. Um, they were just, you know, three and a half to four inches thick. They had the white pages, which was, uh, public, you know, the personal public. And so that's why they were so fat. Cause everybody in your town that, you know, didn't want to be unlisted was in this thing. And so this thing was just huge. So yeah, it was really crazy. The Harley Davidson parts and accessories catalog is just about like that. I forget how many pages uh, they've scaled back a little bit because their bodywork section has gotten a little smaller over the past couple years, but and the seat section, but they used to just have like these massive sections. Now that they've gone to an online store, which is just as massive. And I was telling them, Hey, if you want to check something, you have to go online and look in the books. Cause they don't have like, there's literally so many Harley Davidson accessory parts from, you know, from the factory that they have to put them online and keep this catalog around. So this thing weighs about five pounds. And I think we were joking around about, uh, you know, I had to go down to get one. I usually get them sent to me, but, uh, or I go, you know, pick them up at the Long Beach show or something like that. But I didn't get one a couple years ago and I had to go down and, and get it. And I rode down and it was a good thing. I had like a little bit bulkier jacket than my, uh, kind of form-fitting Alpine Stars jacket because that thing would, I usually tuck it in and zip it up. And I would have had to basically sit on it like a booster seat if I hadn't had my bigger jacket with me because that thing is so fat and thick that it won't, it wouldn't have fit in my jacket. And so he and I were joking around about um, duct taping it to your back as like a back protector. And I said, dude, back protector, I don't, think anything shy of a 50 cal would pierce it. You could probably use it as uh, armor, you know? So y- you might be able to pop it a couple times with the, with a 40 cal and, and maybe make a dent out the, you know, but I don't think you'd go through this thing. That's how massive this PNA catalog is. So now that he owns a slim, he, you know, like the motorcycle men are always talking about the farkles and stuff on their bikes. And yeah, I was welcoming him to the club, you know, welcome to this new thing where you, you can't just, every time you open that thing, you got to spend about 500 freaking bucks because the Harley shit ain't cheap. So having said that, uh, I'm just going to skip some of the other stuff and move on to the first segment of the show, which is a revolution. So you say you want a revolution, huh, baby? <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about the Industrial Revolution. What you say? That happened? Yep, the Industrial Revolution happened. And I don't want to go too much into the first Industrial Revolution and whatnot, but I do want to tell you how all of this relates to motorcycling. And I'll do that now by uh, going a little bit back in time in the Wayback Machine, like Sherman and Peabody. Oops, I got to write down, sorry, Sherman and Peabody. So uh, basically the first industrial revolution happened in the time period between the 1760s and somewhere around the uh, 1820 to 1840. And what the the first industrial revolution was, just to get a background on all this, is that it? It's the first time that we saw pr- like processing. We saw new chemical processes coming through. We saw advancements in metallurgy. Um, we saw 
more efficient use of water. I'm, I'm assuming that means like um, like paddle wheels and you know grist mills and stuff like that. Well, now you're using that to power you know other machines, and that's the other thing is that machine tooling and, and tooling came online, and steam power was a big was a big thing. And as I talked about in the handwriting and handkerchiefs and uh, whatever that other episode was, handwriting handkerchiefs and hose downs, um, I talked about you know, motorcycling coming on and the very first motor, very first automobiles were steam powered and electric powered. We had electric cars way before we had gas cars, if you can believe that. And motorcycling was the same way. We had uh, steam powered motorcycles before we had ice engine motorcycles. So all of this stuff came out of the first industrial revolution and you have textiles uh, was the huge thing before a, pe- a lot of buckskin clothing, a lot of um, woven stuff, but not a lot of actual like nice pre-manufactured textile stuff so the first first industrial revolution the only reason it's important is because all of that stuff started to come online and what you started to see was in the second industrial revolution the the inventions and, and the technologies that were being made in the first industrial revolution are now being applied during the second industrial revolution and in the first industrial revolution you really start to see the uh, smiths going away, metal smith, um, blacksmith, leather smith, wood smith, you know, wood rights, all that stuff. It, it's going away. And even though we had horseless carriages for well into the 1800s, um, the technologies to make the metal and, you know, advance, make improvements to uh, wagons and stuff like that was just like tenfold. And basically, when, when I was, uh, I emailed the guys from the Stock versus Squares podcast regarding their bonus cast because it, it was it was a, really a lot about efficiency and pollution and it was really interesting to me is to say you know if we still had today's technology and you would have to have you know imagine having how many blacksmiths it would take and, and what type of foundry and forge you would have to have in order to make a, a motorcycle or even a car or something like that. And the metallurgy you'd have to, I mean, you would just have fires burning all over your country uh, to keep these smiths in, you know, business. And that's not just cars. I mean, that's anything that's metal. And then think of, you know, all this other great stuff that's coming out. So it's not, the smiths went away. But they still had jobs in these factories, and that's uh, something that came out of the first Industrial Revolution was the machinery and the ability to use this new technology to establish a factory where you kind of get all the smiths together now in a building, and, and you have like a manufacturing process. And you can make much smaller tools, you know, and you can start making smaller machines. If you think about it nowadays, uh, your garage, if you have an electric screwdriver or a drill press or something like that, that is something that came out of the first industrial revolution and you would have had to do by hand before before that so uh all this great trickle down stuff now out of the you know the first industrial revolution we said was like from the 17 i don't know 1740ish to like 1840ish or seven you know somewhere around there so 1870ish to the early 1900s this is the second industrial revolution and what that was is that's where we're actually using these inventions that came out and these new processes coming out of the industrial revolution. We, we get things like the tele, we have these great inventions coming out because of the new, these new processes where we can make stuff smaller. We had the telegraph, then all of a sudden comes the telephone. 
Uh, we are getting electricity, uh, manufactured electricity, manufactured clothing. You don't have to go out and uh, shear your sheep and then spin your yarn and then uh, weave your wool into something and knit clothes and, and wear buckskin clothes around anymore. A lot of buckskin boots, a lot of animal skin clothing uh, before these days. And, you know, manufactured textiles had to be imported from, you know, places in the world like um, India and uh, Southern Asia, you, you know, Afghanistan, places like that, that, that used to have, um, you know, the Silk Road traveled through. So now you've got manufactured clothes. Heck, you just, you throw it, textiles was like a super big thing that came out of the industrial revolution, a lot of fabrics mostly. And now you just have all these fabrics, uh, made at a factory and your mama only has to, uh, instead of shear the sheep and like spin the yarn and, and, and make a, make a loom in her house, she just has to buy it and sew it together now. So plastics also started to come online, running water, um, processed food, running water and processed food is kind of funny because even if it's not directly associated with manufacturing processes, which it is, I mean, if you have a mill or something, you know, you got to pour like a lube on there or keep, keep machinery cool. But just think of the sanitation. Like now you can actually have uh, people working in a factory and be able to like use the bathroom or get a drink when they need to. And so running water was a big deal as far as like getting to the point of having the goods and services that we have now. And processed food, same thing. You don't have to like go down to the farmer's market or spend a lot of your time uh, working your farm anymore to support your family. People are packaging food and adding things to food that um, basically makes it easier for you to work your job now instead of having to basically, you know, get off your nine to five and then go down and, and work your farm and then be tired. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it makes it made everything. It, it, not only did it um, basically go from like a socialist, more uh, a little bit more um, communist sort of society. And, and I'm not talking that in like a governmental sort of way. I'm just saying like each community was really dependent on the rest of the community. Well, now like capitalism, um, starts to emerge all across the globe, actually, uh, during this time and goods and services are actually not local anymore. So, you know, it, it was really a, this huge step, but the crazy thing is that all these inventions from, you know, the from the first industrial revolution are being applied in the second industrial revolution. And what took 350 years, uh, to double the standard of living before was now taking 30. So each generation had it better than the last. And, um, since 1870, the standard of living has basically doubled every 30 years. And that's why we say there's a gen each generation has been divided into a 30 year time period, more or less, um, is because of that is, is basically about how long it took for the standard of living, uh, to, to double from what it was before. So from the 1920s to 1970s, uh, there was 50 years of production from these new inventions that came out of the second industrial revolution. And if you think that's crazy, um, you can go back and look at some shop manuals from the forties. And I mean, early, let's, let's say from like the early 1900s to the forties, uh, these processes didn't change that much. You had in world war two hand beaten, 
uh, panels and you still had, you had stamping processes coming online and all the stuff that still to some degree could still get used, uh, today. You know what I mean? And, and there are old craftsmen that still use some of the technologies from way back when, but I mean, that's, this is when you see lathes come online and some things have been tweaked and, uh, simplified recently. But I mean, if you look at the technology, it's like the same shit that was invented in the second industrial revolution. So, that leads me to my the third industrial revolution, which is basically from the 1960s to the late 90s. All right, um, we didn't really we haven't seen many new inventions come out. And if you think the computer is new, I don't want to say like the old Babbage punch card computer was like top of the line thing, but it was a computer. It computed stuff. And nowadays, um, since the 60s, uh, we had you know, into the nineties was the dot com. So we went from basically computers being more than just like a giant calculator to uh, something with a GUI, which is a graphical user interface. And like everything, you don't need to know code. When you, when computers first came out, I remember uh, our neighbor was building one, an old Apple, and it was a green screen and you had to know like line, I, I don't even know what they're called, but like text, you know, commands to make it work. And then text came back. So to me, it was totally boring being a little kid, you know, but back then that was like opening the door to what we see now. And everything's graphical now, right? Everything. And especially with touch screen and icon, uh, iconography, everything is turning uh, more and more visual. So just think about it in the last, uh, let's say 40 years, we've gone from that, from literally the first internet in 1969 with DARPA to what we consider a necessity nowadays. Like if you don't have the internet, how do you even live? You know, how do you post up your selfies on Instagram? Right? So really from 1995 to 2005, uh, ten year is ten years of production from these inventions and services that we've been developing, and mostly this third industrial revolution has been a technical revolution. And the reason that, that this is important to me, as far as motorcycling is concerned, is because I've I think I've said it before, and I know I've been talking. I've done like a little bit of techno technological stuff and the sits and all the stuff that's coming out of. Um, if you go back to episode four and listen to things that are making it safer to drive and whatnot and technologies that are coming on board in the in the automotive and motorcycling world, you realize that they're more or less just tweaks to stuff that already exists. And we haven't really had any new inventions lately. Um, the, the, the third revolution that's been taking place since the 60s is more of a technological revolution. And there's a lot of things that it's done. Uh, to me, a motorcycle is still a seat with two wheels and a steering input. That's usually a handlebar, right? And, you know, it doesn't matter if it's a scooter or a gigantic cruiser or even the world's biggest motorcycle. Uh, they all do the same thing. They all have two wheels. And now we're considering motorcycles things with three wheels, I guess. But they all have, you know, wheels that you sit on top of with the steering input. And that's that. And that hasn't changed. Now, the... the um, Cleveland Moto podcast made a good point and said that, you know, there's no reason that anything these days should come carbureted yet. A lot of bikes still do. And the, a carburetor is a lot of little complicated parts that probably takes a lot of time to machine and whatnot. But if you already have that going, why stop a good thing? You know, the basically there are a few different types of metal that make up a carb and, 
it's just a few different types of plastic, I guess, that makes up a fuel injector. So a fuel injector, you got to retool and, you know, print out your little um, circuit board. So you just got plastics and plastics replacing metal. So to me, it's not really like uh, it is it is an, an improvement via, you know, a small invention, but really it boils also down to technology. Like you, you need to program, you need to come up with uh, a ECU and a programming to run your fuel injectors. So I don't know how much, you know, it seems like it's way more cost effective to do a carburetor, even though you think it's like a bunch of metal and it's little metal parts. I, I'm not exactly sure. Um, referencing the stock as for squares, uh, bonus cast, which one is more green to produce, you know, and then if they both put out emissions at the tailpipe, then, you know, what's the difference? So basically this third revolution that we're seeing right now isn't anything more than technology, really. It's we're, we haven't really reinvented the motorcycle until we have like a hovering, uh, vehicle that you could ride, um, you know, there's lots of cool things coming out and IMUs and ABS and all stuff. There's lots of stuff making it safer for us to ride, uh, which I've, the only crash I've ever been in, none of that stuff would have saved me. You know what I mean? Like, um, nothing, nothing would have, none of the current technological enhancements would have made, made my crash not happen or made it safer if it did, you know, when it did. So basically this third revolution is e-commerce and email sped up communications and all of that stuff really took, took a place on a much narrower slice of the economy. So yeah, you can, you can fulfill an order across country without having to call them or mail a form via snail mail like you used to in the old days, you know, rip, rip, rip a page out the back of a magazine, fill it out with what you want and mail it off. Wait a few days for it to get there. Wait for them to fulfill it and mail it back. Now you just do that stuff instantaneously online and you can watch stuff even back in the day when you were sending live, uh, news feed, it took a little bit of time for that signal to actually travel across the airwaves to get from one coast to the next. So the fact that you can live stream now sure that's great but it i i think that increasing the standard of living has came more from inventions in the second industrial revolution and just more from services in this third industrial revolution now we totally have like first world problems you know it's, it's a it's a funny joke and it's a hashtag but uh it really is. You know what I mean? Like it's, we, it, we're a super service based economy and that kind of bums me out because more and more you're seeing British bikes not made in Britain anymore. Um, American bikes are even now being made in India, you know, with Harley. Um, luckily a, a lot of that stuff gets outsourced to here too, because producing it in one country and then shipping it over and paying taxes on it is, it is not really that profitable as it is to ship the parts over here and have them assembled here, or at least in North America somewhere, whether it's Canada or Mexico or the U S and then selling it here. Sometimes that's more profitable. So it, it is nice that we are also benefiting from some of this, but the real bummer is that outsourcing is just happening everywhere. And, uh, for only the, technological revolution that we've been having really only accounts for 7% of the total economy. And I'm not even a hundred percent sure of, um, of how it is profitable except for that it refines previous technology and then you charge a premium for that or something. You know what I mean? I mean, if you look at a smartphone, it really is just a camera, uh, a calculator and a phone or, you know, a small computer and a phone put into one. And I use my 
smartphone for, as a phone the least. So I don't even think they should be called, they should be called mobile device from now on. So productivity as a, as a result of this, um, the third industrial revolution, productivity has increased somewhat, but only 1% of the uh, incomes, of the top incomes, that is, sees gains from the increase in production and technology. And I'm guessing that those 1% are like the CEOs of companies like Apple, or, you know, if we're going to keep this motorcycle-related bike manufacturers that uh, sales and marketing teams that get paid to, you know, throw the brand out there and the actual CEOs, you know, if you're, if you're a tech, you're still making the same as you were 15 years ago, maybe a little bit more. If you're a shop, you're charging more. So, you know, you're making a little bit more there, but maybe your rent's higher and whatnot. So Honestly, all this new technology and stuff that has come out that's affecting motorcycles really hasn't improved. It hasn't made a new vehicle. It hasn't made motorcycling different. It's, just, it's made things a little bit safer. And I wanted to, let me get to my notes here. I wanted to talk about uh, the effects it's been having on society Um it's great. I think it's cool that there's more women writing, and I think it's really cool that we're getting girls interested in math and science more when they want to. Honestly, um, if you go back to the handwriting and handkerchiefs episode, um, I talk about people's brains because I went to this seminar on how male and female brains are developed and function, and there's a reason why guys are more attracted to sports than girls. And it doesn't have... I mean, you're not like... Um, you know, you're not compelled to only operate the way your brain and biology is made, but it, it does. I mean, it's hard to fight biology. You know, I, you can't stop yourself from going bald unless you throw some chemicals on your head and you can't stop yourself from pooping, you know, just even if you quit eating. So it's just biology is what it is and the body works how it works. So as we're seeing these society trying to change people, people aren't going to change. You know what I mean? So what's happening is that as we're, um, giving more, uh, more, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Educational grants and stuff to, and, and trying to engage, uh, females more in the, in the sciences, you know, in technology and science, the guys aren't being educated in that stuff. And guys are just going home and playing video games all day and smoking weed and checking out and then working, you know, super uncompetitive, um, low paying jobs. And if you look back through time, you might be able to say that this is society's doing, but it's also biology has a little bit to play in this, that guys are responsible for most of the stuff that happened. Cause we're the ones that wanted to blow stuff up and make guns and, you know, make motorbikes and jump off of crazy shit. We, you know, if you ask a girl, uh, does she want to be a computer nerd? She's probably going to say no. You know what I mean? So, uh, there's a reason that guys were attracted to this stuff. And now that we're not engaging guys anymore, they're being totally educated out of math and science and technology pretty much. And, um, or, you know, that's the trend right now is that they're, they're, unable to contribute basically to, to highly productive occupations. A lot of baby boomers are retiring. So the guys that are older that were in this were, or that were actually educated, um, factory workers and whatnot, the Smiths of their generation, you could say they're retiring. So there's no more educated workers coming in. Guys aren't being educated. Girls aren't being educated. Or if they are they're you know, they're 
taking interest in other things. So what we're seeing is a lot of the shit leaving. There's no wonder outsourcing is happening and no wonder that motorcycles are going to be made in countries now that don't have this, you know, third world countries that don't haven't been affected by any of these industrial revolutions. You can go to places in the world today and still see shit being done the way it was done in the 1700s. And those are the places subsequently that are getting our freaking jobs and making our bikes and making our helmets and all that shit, right? So um, the jobs that are being created are not replacing high paying jobs or jobs that require higher education. So when you ask somebody a question and they don't know it, there's a reason they don't need to be educated because they can just go, you know, like I said, there's the, the decrease of the Smiths and the increase of machines in the industrial revolution meant that you didn't really have to know how to be a blacksmith anymore. You, you just go to the shop and you like throw this piece of thing in this machine here and it does it for you. So that's basically what's happening now on a different level. Um, we're totally getting replaced by a service industry rather than, uh, manufacturing. So all of that stuff, the people that are in manufacturing just push buttons basically and run machines and they do have to you look for stuff and the QA guys have to know what they're looking for. But I mean, you know, it still doesn't take any more, more skill than just a little bit of knowing what to work for. So, um, the, the only benefit that we have is that, you know, I think there is a little bit maybe more of a, as people are kind of realizing where this is headed, <clears throat> we're basically heading the same way that the, sorry for my voice. <clears throat> I don't think I'm going to be able to do a kazoo solo for episode 20. I, I might have to switch it up to recorder and just go to guitar for some of it because my voice is all tore up now. But uh, to get back to the revolution thing, we're kind of experiencing what the Roman uh, Empire experienced back in the day when they kind of started outsourcing stuff more and more and they became less dependent on themselves and more dependent on other people. Shit just started to crumble, right? So that's kind of what's happening. It's kind of scary. And it's kind of, you know, you see it in motorcycling is no different from any other industry, okay? But you, every time you read it, every time I look at a parts catalog and I see something made in Thailand for a bike that's from Japan, oh, the new Ducati scramblers, oh, ha ha ha, you know, they're, be, they're the ones that are made in Thailand, right? Oh, the new, you know, Nortons, not the Nortons, the Triumphs, are they the ones that are made in India now? Are they, you know, so everything, all these questions about where stuff is being manufactured, um, the fact that BMW, I believe it was BMW, right? BMW that, that had open their factory in India uh, and and trained people basically had like imported a German factory over to India and then taught people how to do their shit there, right? So they're saying that the quality and the tooling and everything is German, but it's just made in that other country because of the uh, cost of labor. So it's very, very interesting. Um, all the All of this stuff, you know, relates to motorcycling just because it is like every other industry and we are seeing outsourcing. We are seeing, you know, uh, motorcycle techs are basically the only guys that are still around that know how to do stuff. And less and less are you finding motorcycle mechanics. You're finding techs because everything's turning into technology moving away from, um, like physical, you don't need to know how to work a carb anymore or play with the carb or adjust suspension. You need to know how to replace a little black module. So, yeah, robot, and, and this kind of took me to the Yamaha riding robot, and I know I talked shit about him, and I still don't think that riding robot is anywhere near, uh, you know, what they what we thought in the 80s robots would be like and what um, people are expecting them to be like, but at any point, 
In any case, robots, even Watson, who won Jeopardy, you don't have to really know uh, problem solving to win at Jeopardy. You need to know trivial questions. It's a yes. Do you know the answer? Yes or no. You know, you need to know um, basically zero problem solving skills. That's, that's all like trivia and knowledge of the question stuff. So robots at this point aren't really problem solving. We are using them to problem solve. So that's a benefit for us. You know, that's a just proving that people will make, you know, the revolution basically will not be televised. <laughs> it will be, you know, it will take somebody, it will take a real revolution for us to create, you know, the next thing that opens our eyes and advances us way past all this ABS and IMUs and all the stuff. All that stuff is just enhancing motorcycles and enhancing the services that we receive from our motorcycles. It's not making us better riders. If anything, it's making us worse riders because we were relying on this technology. So, um, and speaking of robots, robots are already writing news articles for the Associated Press. They partnered with a company called Automatic Insights, which, you know, little play on the AI. Uh, so the AI journalists, they use this word, uh, platform called Wordsmith, and they've been writing 3,000 articles per order for, per order for, per quarter for the Associated Press. And basically what they're saying is, uh, just like people feared during all these, uh, uh, industrial revolutions and just like i feared that people won't know how to ride motorcycles anymore because the motorcycle will ride itself apparently these robots aren't taking away people's jobs you know they're basically giving freeing the journalists up to write um basically away from the bland and pieces that the robots can write the humans can focus on opinions or big picture pieces that uh span over a length of time um or speculative pieces um that rely on experience and wisdom and the robots just kind of do the factual you know hard numbers hard information uh writing stuff so there is there's always that you know what i mean and and eventually uh i think motorcycles will will see the same thing eventually uh there will be a cutoff point to where the motorcycle can do no more for you and you're going to actually have to do stuff yourself. Um, it will never fully replace the rider. So I'm not really worried about the Yamaha robot, but I did think it was interesting. Um, stuff that is okay. Rant over. A quick aside that I'd like to make before I move on to the next segment is that, uh, I hope you're not asleep a for one. And some, just like a couple little points I want to make after having listened back to this is that with the rise of the hipster has become the return of the Smith. And you see a lot of leather Smith and a lot of people, uh, learning how to redo older, um, design, you know, resurrecting, uh, older bikes maybe is, is what I'm thinking of too. And, uh, getting more familiar with carburetors and stuff. However, that's not the world in general and that's not the you know even the mainstream however seeing cool things like flat track coming back and seeing hipsters revive old things um the old things are being made new and you know like the flat track with the indians and the and the, the more current harleys and stuff um you're bringing back some sort of trends but you're not necessarily bringing back old trades and there's just a handful of hipsters that are bringing back uh, old trade. So it's something that you're not going to see particularly um, influence anything in this current revolution. We're not going to go backwards, basically, I guess is what I'm saying. Uh, the second thing I wanted to say was 
Um, I was just listening to myself talk about designers and and, and uh, sciences and stuff like that, and baby boomers uh, retiring. That made me think of who is going to be designing our next wave of motorcycles. In the past, the guys, and yes, I said guys, I can't think of any women uh, motorcycle designers right off the top of my head, at least that stand out in the way that Massimo Tamburini has. And, you know, as baby boomer designers retire, a lot of them are a little bit older right now, or die as, as the late Massimo did. He was considered the Michelangelo of motorbike design. And I can't think of anybody in our current, you know, economy that is held up to that standard. We have some, you know, the guys that are most famous are customs guys right now. I don't think any actual factory designers, um, I guess, I guess if you want to call Roland Sands, since he works with factories a lot, uh, you know, somebody that is poising himself to, you know, be held up to that light at some point in the future. But if we really are educating guys out of this and we're really trying to get women engaged, um, you know, we really, we really do need to think about this. And, you know, that's just one more thing to think about. In the, in the future and possibly outsourcing and, and skills development. I mean, are we going to crash? Are we the next freaking Roman Empire? Dude, I certainly hope not because I don't know if I'd rather be uh, Pompey or Spartacus. You know what I mean? On that note, let's step up the technological revolution speak up one step. I hope I hope you haven't fallen asleep at this point. It's been nearly an hour of me rambling on about... Uh, almost nothing. So basically what I was talking about, uh, this third technological revolution is basically just an improvement to already existing things. The the, uh, mobile phone comes to mind. And a lot of the times we get apps. I mean, that's like the big thing, apps, you know, you, you, uh, you use your phone for everything now and you use it for as a little computer. You check your mail on it most of the time. So you also use it as a GPS device. And I'm going to talk about that in a second. But the police in Tredefrin, Pennsylvania, and I couldn't think of a more Welsh sounding town name. And it actually looks like a Welsh town name too, Tredefrin. Uh, there was an incident purported to come from the police, which they emailed you a payment for a speeding ticket with a link. You would, pardon me, you'd click the link and it would basically take you to a little site that installed some malware on your phone. Now what this malware would do would track the speed and location of the phone's GPS. Now what I did not get from this story is if they specifically were targeting motorcyclists or how they even got your email. Perhaps you were a repeat offender. Uh, A lot of motorcyclists are, um, or maybe even guys with uh, cars, you know, speeding or people that they'd cop in the past. I'm, I'm not exactly 100% sure how they targeted the people that uh, got these spe- fake speeding ticket um, links sent to them. But uh, I don't know if it's 100% illegal. I, I'm not even sure if it is illegal to install malware on a computer. Um, so I don't know what would happen if you were to go to the police saying that you had malware installed and they'd said, yeah, that was us, but they're using it to track you. So uh, I guess quit using your phone for everything. You know what I mean? Shit. We use it for enough as it is. Uh, and now the police are capitalizing on that, at least in this small town. So it was an interesting thing to note. And, um, 
I, I hadn't read any follow-up on that yet, but I guess it's a tricky way for them and maybe not an illegal way for them to see when you're speeding and where and then try to go out there and bust you. So if you got one of those links recently, um, don't... Uh, you know, better turn off your phone whenever you go somewhere. And if you have some friends that got one recently, tell them not to open it and click on it. Because if you don't remember speeding, why would you be getting an email to pay a speeding ticket? Uh, another thing I read recently comes to us from Biker Digital. And there was a whole article on cell phones and how much we are using cell phones for everything now. And a lot of people already use them for GPS. And this is... a uh, proposing an interesting problem to OEMs. Now, BMW already, if you're familiar with BMWs, you know that like every single bike they offer comes with like a Navi retrofit where you can get their cradle and their system hooked right up. A lot of them are already set up to get uh, GPS on there and Navi. And I believe, you know, their most recent uh, K1600 GT and GTL models might come with it on there. Honda has, you know, a Navi system built in. Harley Davidson has their infotainment, which includes Navi and like XM radio. All this stuff is becoming like standard on uh, higher end motorcycles. So what they're doing now, since people are using their GP or their phone for GPS a lot, the manufacturer, at least BMW, is saying, "Hey, you know what? We don't need to uh, really invest in like this separate unit." And they've made this phone cradle that is an OE BMW phone cradle that snaps onto your motorcycle and allows it to pivot depending on how you want to um, view the screen or whatnot. And it comes, you know, specially made. And it's just an indicator that OEs are starting to look toward the future and starting to, to realize what's going on within the industry right now and, and how much people rely on their smartphones. And they're saying, let's, let's make this an integral part of your motorcycle now. And you, you just, we, we won't, you know, you don't have to buy our Navi unit, just buy our phone mount and you use your phone however you want to. Um, Aprilia has done something similar. They have an AP. AMP, which is um, Aprilia Multimedia Platform, I believe. And they've teamed up with Scully, who Scully, you know, has several different helmets out there. But one of, you know, they're working on like heads up technologies and stuff like that. So Aprilia has is working on this platform with them to integrate heads up stuff, but also phone related. Um, and I, they had a, like a price and all the models that they're offering it on right now. But Aprilia is saying, hey, bring in your smartphone. Instead of us like investing the technology into making uh, like a uh, instrument cluster with all this great shit on it, if you look at the Yamaha and BMW sport bike uh, packages, they got all these crazy readings and readouts and and uh, shift lights and all this crazy shit, right? So you can do that now with the Aprilia AMP package, <clears throat> and what it is is it pairs your smartphone to the bike. So now all they have to do is really just develop an app in the bike. And if you're familiar with the way cars are going now, every car is like a rolling hotspot, and more cars. I, I think there's already been apps out there where you can like open your trunk or unlock your car with your smartphone. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure that that's um, been out there for a while. And of course, keyless entry with the new like smart keyless entry and proximity um, awareness. BMW already has keyless ride on their bikes and Harley Davidson does as well. You don't need the key fobs anymore. So the phone, phone is becoming the new thing. And in this case, it's becoming the new instrument cluster. And with Aprilia, they said that since your phone's already got like GPS and it's already got 
like an accelerometer and a gy- like some sort of gyrometer in it. Uh, obviously, if you've ever played any little g- app games or if you've tilted your phone and the screen knows to flip around, it's got something in there that tells it how much, how far it's leaning, whatnot. So <clears throat> what they're doing is they're just making this uh, package on the bike and then you just sync your phone up to your bike and set your phone down and your phone becomes the new uh, instrument cluster display. And what that allows you to do, you can still, <clears throat> basically it's like an app, you know, it's like a cluster app and, and, and you can set shift lights you can see your uh, apparently you can see your fuel consumption um you can you can see your um it it'll digitally tell you uh how full or empty your fuel tank is uh, via sensors on the bike and it'll give you that nice big readout on the speedo or the tack and since it's a phone you know it's obviously going to be really nice and clear display and it's it'll tell you your lean angles um it gives you all the telemetry and obviously you can use it as a gps it just uses your phone's gps so all this is coming online and as we know there's a bunch of thousands of aftermarket farkles to bolt onto your bike to put your phone there to use it either to take calls uh, via the Bluetooth in your helmet or to use as a, as a visual GPS. So everybody and their mom already probably makes a phone holder. And now this is just the OEs going one step further and using your cell phone to actually uh, integrate with the bike to become uh, your instrument cluster. And another interesting thing, since it pairs with your bike, uh, it said that you could... Um, see where your bike is in case you lose it. So in case you go to uh, Daytona Bike Week and you get a little bent and you can't remember where you parked or you go to Walmart on one of those 24-hour cocaine benders that you're used to having and you come back out into this just vacuous uh, Walmart parking lot and you don't remember where you left your hoopty ride, uh, you can look at your little app and it'll say, oh, you left it here. I'm not 100% sure if if that works um, if it gets stolen or not, but that's probably something else that, that works with that too. And, uh, if you're like me, you just park it right, uh, up next to the shopping cart. So you should never lose it. And anyway, so that's just something really interesting along those same lines. Uh, this is a little bit car related, but it could transfer over that Volvo wants to make your smartphone the only key you ever need to start your car. Um, and they're introducing the same sort of technology where you just walk up, you wait, your smartphone's on you. It, unlocks your car or there's an app, you know, and it, and it unlocks it and starts it and everything. The only thing I could see with that is what happens when your phone dies, um, hashtag first world problems. And, uh, you know, or if you need to valet your car, I'm not sure about your bike, you know, if you'd ever need to give somebody else the key, maybe even if it got impounded, like maybe you could sneak in there and just start it up and, and steal, they wouldn't be able to, to, uh, started up maybe if they had to sell it at a lean auction oh or if you buy a bike from an auction and you don't have this app like are you screwed i don't know a whole whole new bunch of things to think about with uh stupid smartphone technology becoming the next every you know why don't we just get the fucking chip implanted already um an interesting another interesting thing from the car world i've been talking about suspension lately and and last episode i talked about the bmw suspension and the esa now Ford is introducing pothole control on their Fusion, which is pretty much like a base level car. It already exists on the Lincoln MKZ, and I think Mercedes has it 
I'm not 100% sure, but I think they have it on their cars with uh, the magic body control modules on there. And what pothole control does is when you're driving over a pothole, it stiffens the the shock absorber on that or the strut, whatever it is, on that particular wheel so that it floats over the pothole, basically. It doesn't let it dip down. It doesn't let it rebound. It's it holds it in place. And so that lets your wheel and tire more or less float over the pothole. And then instantaneously, it sends the signal to the back wheel to do the same thing. And what what that does is, it, especially in, in bad parts of the country, uh, snow country, you know, or where the roads get tore up, maybe not maintained very well, is it allows the wheel as cars, I mentioned this a while back in, a, in a, I think, episode four, as cars are becoming heavier and heavier due to all the safety shit getting added to them, and so are motorcycles, um, the actual, to keep the weight down, you got to make the actual chassis and everything out of something lightweight. So the wheels are becoming alloy, you know what I mean? Super, super uh, smashable alloy. And if you go over a pothole, sometimes it can tear up your tire and and tear up your uh, wheel if you hit it hard enough. So on the cars, this thing is like, you know, it's interesting to see that this, just like ABS was and airbags and stuff, is becoming so so cheap and uh, pervasive throughout the industry that they can now offer it on like a base model vehicle. I was thinking about BMW's ESA and how I talked about how you can electronically um, adjust it uh, uh, right on the fly. It, it would be interesting to have this stuff. You'd basically be like bunny hopping over a pothole. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it doesn't lock, it doesn't stop your wheel from moving. It just dampens your, or uh, stops your shock from bound, rebounding down. So you would kind of be, it, it'd be like this little chirp as you went over potholes and maybe it would save your wheels uh, from getting bent. Cause obviously motorcycle rims are a lot easier to bend than car wheels are, especially if they're made out of some uh, funky alloy. So uh, some more um, stuff coming out of the technological revolution that we're seeing is the, I posted on our Facebook page, a C1 is a company that's making a self-balancing enclosed scooter using counterweighting. And this is nothing new. People use counterweighting on buildings, on huge skyscrapers, to keep them from tipping over during high winds. You have these weights that uh, move basically parallel to the top of the floor, the the upper floors, to keep the whole uh, building in check. Because the taller you go, the more flexion you have. You don't usually think of buildings as fluid, but they are. They're totally fluid. So uh, this self-balancing scooter... Apparently, can the test that they've done and the video they have on there shows it uh, not tipping over. So that's something interesting. Um, something to, like I mentioned just a, a little bit ago, something to make us less uh, proficient in our writing. <laughs> so fuck this technology shit and fuck this third revolution. I want some real changes. I want something new to come out. And until we have an actual new invention, uh, I think we're just going to see a lot of gimmickry. Um, Something that I didn't mention, well, that I did mention was that the uh, financial increases from this new uh, technological revolution are only going to the top 1% of income so far. And uh, that means that the blue collar uh, or middle class is opening just that rift even further. That's something we've been talking about like since the 80s, you know what I mean? And with the. Um, the dumbing down of people, that we're just going to see that more and more and more. So. Um, we're not going to be able to afford these cool, you know, bikes that have all this crazy shit on it. Uh, something else that I wanted to mention was I'll quit. I'm sorry. I'll quit, uh, fluffing my papers around here. Uh, something else I wanted to mention 
was the NHTSA has determined that um, software and a computer can drive a car. So going back to episode four, SITS, right? Uh, CITS. Basically, uh, autonomous driving cars are going to be a thing pretty soon, which means that all that technology I talked about that is going to transfer over to motorcycles may be uh, coming along. And um, they're pushing to, I forget what I said in that episode, but I think they were trying to push it for this year to start and by 2020 to be, uh, market ready. So four short years, we're expecting people to develop this technology and I'm, I'm assuming it's going to trickle over to bikes immediately afterwards. And basically, um, you know, it, it was interesting to hear the person that was talking about this uh, speaking I, was interesting because each manufacturer is going to be responsible for um, collision avoidance and stuff like that in these smart cars. So he was saying, what if they swerve when, when there's about to be an accident and the car tries to avoid it, do they swerve? Do they just, uh, you know, do they go ahead and have the accident and just prepare the, um, passenger, you know, the safety bag and air, uh, airbag and, um, deployment and seatbelt tensioning. Like, does it just like get you ready for it? How do they do it? Because if you're going to swerve, do you swerve into like a, a school full of little kids or you do, do you swerve in front of the path of another car, which could be a motorcycle? And do you, you know, what, it, what exactly are they going to do? So it's going to make a, riding a motorcycle pretty interesting here in the next couple of years. So I'm looking forward to all that stuff. Um, I'm kind of not looking forward to all of it, actually. And uh, I, there's one more thing I want to talk about. Um, seems automotive related, but it, it's a little bit motorcycle related, too, was uh, with all this technological advance and everything, and we're getting more cameras on cars for this uh, self-driving cars and accident avoidance, but also for convenience. And the 2017 Ford Super Duty is going to be getting uh, optional cameras. And these are to help you back up. And I think you could probably use them to detect motorcycles in your blind spot too, if you can engage them while you're going forward. I, I'm not sure if they only kick on when you hit, when you put it in reverse, but I was thinking of people that take their trailers down to the desert or, or uh, to out to racing and transporting, you know, transporting your bike or your quads or whatever. Now the super duty has, two mirror mounted cameras that face backwards and on the screen, basically the display turns your vehicle and trailer, no matter how big it is really into this thin, like inch wide line. And it's because the mirrors are looking at everything except the uh, vehicle and trailer. So all you can see of is the peripheral. So it basically turns your giant ass rig into this little skinny thing that you can barely see in the middle because it's looking at everything but those to make sure you're not running over anyone. So you don't need to have somebody standing at each corner anymore. Um, there's also a camera right above the uh, center high mounted brake lamp that uh, looks down into the bed. And that is partially for ease of gooseneck or fifth wheel trailers. So you can see how you're hitching them. You don't have to like try to turn your head and look down into the bed anymore. You can just look at this camera and line it up pretty easily. And it also shows you um, the angle of the trailer. And now there's another camera. If you, if you just have a standard uh, bumper hitch, there's another camera right above the tailgate or on the top of the tailgate looking down. 
And the purpose of these two cameras that look down into the bed and at the at the hitch is because there's like a little animated display on there that tells you the angle of the trailer. I know I had mentioned in a previous episode the Toyota uh, backup helper. I forget what it's Toyota backup assist or something like that, which is a knob that you actually turn on the center console and suddenly it like flips the image in your rear view mirror or whatever. So when you turn left, your trailer goes left. When you turn right, your trailer goes right. And in the past, you would kind of do that to jack if you wanted your trailer to go right at first you have to crank your wheels left and then once you get it going right then you crank them back you know what i mean if you've ever backed up a trailer without all these assistant uh little driving aids you know what i'm talking about um and this toyota thing would just flip the image so that your brain uh or maybe it flipped the the wheels i forget what it did but it, it did something so that like your brain doesn't have to work you turn right the trailer goes right i think i think it actually uh manipulated the wheels that's right the steering input so yeah so this ford thing doesn't do quite that but it does add like all the layers of vision that you need to see and it and it, those cameras that point down at the hitches actually shows your animation which way your trailer is going so that you can make the inputs now you might say i still need somebody behind me to see the, actually literally right behind me Make sure I'm not about to run over a hookup, especially at a racetrack where it's going to cost me a few hundred bucks or you're backing into a tight paddock stall or something like that. Well, it comes with the uh, fifth camera that is uh, optional that bolts or mounts onto your trailer. So that's looking straight back behind you um, and you can literally get... uh, uh, a trailer's eye view of where you're going. And so if there's uh, equipment back there or if you're pulling into a stall at a racetrack or something to unload your bike or whatnot, you can see perfectly behind you and all four other uh, cameras are working at the same time. So interesting. I know it's car related, but it does, if you do tow a race rig or anything like that, it uh, kind of applies to you. Um, I'm not going to get into the AMA or anything like that this this week, but I do want to get into. Um, I've been I've had this written down ever since episode 16. I think was noise guidelines and uh, noise restrictions. Now the AMA just offered some sound kits for 2016 free sound kits, nine of them in total. You had to write a competitive grant, you know to say why you needed it or why you could use it and who you could help out. Um, type two sound meter was included with a tack, some training materials, a spark arrestor probe and a little carrying case. And that allows you to, uh, test for noise limits and noise limits have been going down actually since like the seventies. It's things have, the more people we get, the more noise pollution we get, things need to get quieter and quieter. So, uh, if you need to test that and especially with like the EPA trying to ban aftermarket mufflers and stuff, if you need to test, uh, your noise limits, this is a viable option. We'll talk about noise and testing and stuff in another episode. Right now I'm going to call it quits. It's, it's an hour and, uh, almost an hour and 15 minutes. Now, I don't want to go too far into this because I still have a bunch of sorry lists to shout out here, but I would like you to, I would like to thank you for sticking around with me. Um, hopefully this one didn't bore you to death. I'm sorry if it did. Um, I'm sure the next one will be great. It's going to be the solstice slam. Like I said, get your stuff in by August 7th and I'll throw it on the show. Uh, please rate us on iTunes. Um, leave us a re- comment over at our email which is creative writing 
podcast, all one word, at gmail.com. Um, check us out on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash creative writing podcast. Check us out on Tumblr, creative writing.tumblr.com. Check us out on the web at creative writing writing.com. And uh, we post up all of our shows over there, all the show notes, the course, I usually try to write a corresponding write-up if I interview somebody. So the corresponding write-up on the person or maybe the technology that we reviewed, I'm not going to write anything about the fucking uh, industrial revolution. So yeah, at any rate, uh, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. I really enjoyed bringing it to you. I can't uh, wait for the next episode to come out. And until then, keep your blubber above the rubber. The Creative Writing Podcast would like to apologize to the following individuals. The Solstice Slam. The date, April 7th. A Rat's Hairy Crack. Carrier Pigeons. The Road to Ripped Podcast. We'd like to say sorry to any creative people. The Motorcycles and Misfits Podcast. The Stock is for Squares Podcast. Cleveland Moto Podcast. The Cafe Racer ADV Cod Podcast. We're sorry for dismissing that up. It's the Cafe Racer Podcast. Uh, Front End Chatter. Motorcycle Men. Adventure Rider Radio and Adventure Rider Radio Raw. Uh, we'd like to apologize to the TurboCast. To Intercoolers. To 300ZXs. To Mustangs. To Smoke. To squ- Twin Squirrel twin scroll turbos sorry to adam carolla paul carruthers wayne rainey tony wank scott casper brock glover sorry to spencer heel the gear dude sorry to the wheel nerds sorry to motorific sorry to pit pass moto weekly and sorry to the bike week radio show sorry to mustangs Sorry to Santa Cruz Hooligans. Sorry to NASCAR. Sorry to Roundy Round Racing. Sorry to Motocross Tracks. We're sorry to Aaron Colton. Sorry to Howard Stern. Moto America. Sorry to Cycle News. Sorry to the Harley-Davidson Parts and Accessories Catalog. Sorry to the Yamaha FCO9 and the Harley-Davidson Softail Slim S. We're sorry to Mr. Sherman and Peabody. No, to Sherman and Mr. Peabody. Oh, we're double sorry now, guys. Let's just say sorry to Bullwinkle and Rocky for that one. Uh, we're sorry to the Ducati Scrambler. Sorry to Ducati Motorcycle Company. Sorry to BMW. Sorry to Norton, Triumph, and Royal Enfield. Sorry to the countries of Thailand, Japan, the UK, India, Afghanistan. Sorry to the Yamaha Riding Robot. Sorry to Watson. Sorry to Jeopardy. Sorry to Massimo Tamburini. Sorry to MV Augusta, Aprilia, and Bimoda. We're sorry to the 2017 Ford Super Duty. We're sorry to the police department in Tredefrin, Pennsylvania. We're sorry to the AMA. We are sorry to the Volvo Car Company. We are sorry to C1 uh, self-balancing enclosed scooter. Uh, sorry to the Ford Fusion, the Lincoln MKZ, and any Mercedes that have magic body control. Sorry to BMW suspension. Sorry to Ford pothole control in case you are a copyrighted um, or trademarked design. Sorry to Motegi Ring. Sorry to Biker Digital. Sorry to GPS. Uh, 
We're sorry to Aprilia and the AMP platform. Sorry to Scully helmets and heads-up devices. We're sorry to anyone we may have offended with our crappy rantings and stupidly produced uh, podcast. Please join us next week when we are even more retarded than we are this week. And sorry to retardeds. Uh, there was an interesting article on Biker Digital problems with people. Um, well, we're we're using. Well, let me see. Uh, there was this. There was here. that. Uh, blah 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 blah. It's been a while since there's been an email in the box. I'm obviously going to re-record this, so uh, don't be a total dickhead about it. Bum, bum, bum. So blah blah blah. Where the fuck did my? Oh, I have it right in my hand. What an idiot. Well, we're we're using. Well, let me see. Let me back up here. <laughs>